0: Hi, this is Heidi. Welcome to Storybook with Heidi Spear and Friends, the podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to best-selling author and master coach, Nancy Levin. So grab a cup of tea, curl up with a cozy blanket, and I hope you enjoy her stories. Hi, Nancy. This is Nancy Levin, and Nancy is a best-selling author and a master coach, and I am so excited to get to talk with her today. Her latest book is Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free, The Ultimate Guide to Telling the Truth, Creating Connection, and Finding Freedom. And so, Nancy, I'm wondering if you can introduce yourself for us and tell us about the work that you're
1: doing. Thanks for having me here, Heidi. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, sure. I think the pertinent elements of introducing myself are that I was the event director at Hay House Publishing for 12 years. So that meant that I was traveling around the world producing live events with really the greatest minds in the field of self-empowerment, self-improvement, self-help, inspiration, motivation. Uh, During that time, I had the great fortune of being very close with Louise Hay, Wayne Dyer, Carolyn Mace, Marian Williamson. It's you kind of name it in that particular field. And I, while I was a powerhouse at work, my home life was a different story. And I was in an 18 year marriage that was very abusive and was crumbling for quite some time however I was very invested in projecting an image of perfection to the world and managing the perception of others so I never wanted anyone to know what was going on in my home life and I really lived by the motto never let them see you sweat so I was a champion people pleaser peacekeeper conflict avoider, not rock the boater, and I was in consistent search of external validation, chasing all the gold stars, looking for the applause and the approval, and ultimately no gold stars will ever be enough to fill the void that exists within us. And so in 2008, my marriage blew up. And for the very first time, I was really able to let the teachings of all of these great teachers land inside of me. You know, I always say I had a front row seat and a backstage pass. And while, you know, while everything was sort of swimming around me by osmosis, when I hit my rock bottom, when I hit my crisis, I was able to let their teachings really work their magic on me as I rebuilt myself. And that was my dream job. I never in a million years thought I would ever leave it. And yet, uh, as I was going through this transition to leave my marriage, I was working with my dear friend and mentor, Debbie Ford. And it was really at her encouragement that I got a coach and I went through her shadow process weekend And then decided I wanted to do her year-long coach training program, not even because I wanted to become a coach, Mm. but because I wanted to do the inner work. And so at the end of that training, I was unrecognizable from the woman I was when I began it. And it became really clear to me that I was that I'm here for a different purpose than I thought I was. I really, I really got clear that I'm here to help other people get free. And that's what set me on the journey of ultimately leaving my job at Hay House, going out on the world, going out into the world on my own, uh, you know, writing five books, being a master coach. Now, you know, in the past, in the past few months, I've launched my life coach training program. Uh, Debbie has since passed and there was a real void and so i feel like here i am bringing the message bringing the teaching to a whole new to a whole new level and to a new generation
0: i really love that you know nancy and i what i love about the story that's so inspiring that i've talked to you before you know we've gotten to have lunch together and other things and you have so many inspiring stories and what I love about this story that I'm hearing right now, this part, if to zoom in a little bit, if that's all right with you, is really to have this backstage pass that you had to all of these wonderful, wonderful teachers in the world. And then to be able to use those teachings in your own life when things really started to fall apart. Mm-hmm. What I'd love to just zoom in on for a second is in, in those moments when things started to crumble and you decided that you were actually able to apply these teachings and look into your life, how did that feel in that moment? Because I think what happens is when we're hearing about these teachings or we're reading the books and they're so inspiring and they're so great, and it comes time to apply them to our our, our own life. Do you remember what that feels like? I mean, is that like super fun and yippee, I have all these tools? Or how does that really feel when you're, when you're applying these tools to your own life? And mm-hmm. is there fear that, you know, hey, are these really going to work or what's going to happen on the other side? So I'd love to hear a little bit about applying these kinds of tools to your life.
1: Yeah, so I will talk about that in the, in really in the context of the moment that uh, my marriage blew up. Uh, it was April 12th. 2008 and I was on my way home from producing a hay house event and I was at the San Diego airport and on the other side of security I noticed that a voicemail had come in and I was at my gate and I asked, just paused for 1 minute I think sure. this is hilarious how you
0: literally remember all these details of this moment you know that I, all of these just you were going through security like you I noticed you had a voicemail like I remember everything remember.
1: And I was at my gate and I held the phone up to my ear and it was my, it was my husband at the time saying, um, you better get your ass home. I read your journals. There's hell to pay. And I found myself kneeling on the carpet at the gate while people were boarding the plane around me. I do not remember getting on the plane. I don't remember flying. I barely remember even getting in the car uh, to go home. And I didn't listen to any of the voicemails that had come in while I was in the air. I didn't answer the phone once I landed. And I I, I did two things that were really pivotal. One was I admitted the truth to myself, which was really the point of being willing to embark on making the major change that I did. Uh, For most of my life, I had not been willing to tell myself the truth, let alone anybody else. And when we don't tell the truth, we create chaos. And when we don't tell the truth, it comes out sideways. So I told the truth to myself, and then I picked up the phone and called a very close friend and told her the truth as well.
0: So just to pause, you hadn't told anyone. You hadn't told yourself. You hadn't been open with anyone. Seems like you were open with your journal, and I open with and, my journal. And that's that's about it at this moment until right yes. now. Yeah. And, and again, just to slow down because for you and for you and me, I think we're used to hearing this kind of thing. But when you say that when you don't tell the truth, it creates chaos. That's very very true, and I think something we some of us do not understand that it it creates chaos. And second of all. Are you able to define just a little bit, if you have an example of what you mean, which I think you'll get to, because I know the part of your story here. When you say, if we don't tell the truth, it comes out sideways. So generally speaking, can you explain, is, to, just to take a side trip for a minute, what that means for people? Because I don't know that people really understand. If you don't tell the truth, it comes out sideways. Or would truth you rather will
1: just come out. An example? Yeah, the truth will come out in self-sabotage. The truth will come out in uh, illness the truth will come out in some kind of Mm self-destruction. So the great advice I received from my friend who I called was, uh, you know, if you decide you're going to go home, have an exit strategy, have somewhere to go. And she knew that I lived sort of kitty corner to a hotel. She said, why don't you go there, check yourself in, drop your bags and then go home and talk to him. So at least you have somewhere to go if you need to go. And it was really, it was really profound advice because when I walked, I did that. When I walked up the stairs to my condo, he was waiting inside holding four of my journals and I had over 70 volumes and he was holding four of my journals and he said, I'm going to make copies of pages and I'm going to send them to your parents, your sister, your friends, your coworkers, and let's see what they think when they learn about the real Nancy. So he knew that my greatest fear was any sort of exposure. And no one can push your buttons like someone you've been married to for 18 years. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And so in that moment, I knew I had a profound choice to make. I knew I could either really sort of close my eyes, go back to sleep, or I could set about making really the, the the change of my life and what I will say is that it took me nearly two more years to leave the marriage but I did leave the house that night and the next morning after not very much sleep he called to say if you're not home in a half an hour I'm calling your parents and your sister and because I knew he wasn't bluffing And because I knew it was time to take responsibility for my own life. I call, I got my parents both on the phone and I said, you know, it's highly likely that we're going to be getting a divorce. And my mother said, what happened? And I said, I got home last night and he read my journals and discovered that I had an affair eight years ago. And my mother said, without skipping a beat, I'm so sorry that you've been carrying this around all by yourself for eight years. Wow. So tell me, was that a shock? It was, it blew me away. But what really became clear to me is that the dissolution of my marriage would lead to the great healing with my mother, which it has. Wow. And I still told very few people Uh, I was very invested in keeping up the facade, very invested in the people pleasing, keeping the marriage together, doing everything I could for him to have him stay, to have us not get divorced, to have him not go, you know, raging, which would happen, you know, often. And, you know, I, I was just reflecting on this this morning because my birthday is coming up and my birthday In 2009, which was just less than a year after he read the journal, um, he kicked me out of the house for the first time. And it was a house that I bought and paid for. Mm -hmm. And he kicked me out for the first time of five times. And the fifth time that happened, January 12th of 2010, was the time I set the very first boundary of my life by not going back.
0: And that's amazing. And can I pause again and rewind and zoom in to another detail that's interesting to me? So the interesting detail to me is when you were going back all those times and wanting to save the marriage, would you mind elaborating, was this generally for religious purposes or for purposes that you made a promise you didn't want to break or for the more facade that you didn't want people to think your marriage. Yeah.
1: It had nothing to do with religion. It had nothing to do with a vow or a promise. It had everything to do with, um, not wanting, not, not wanting to deal with public humiliation or shame or failure. Okay. And you know, what was interesting is when I finally did you know, I really feared revealing my truth to so many people.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and was that the
1: marriage part, or the affair part, or both? Do you feel definitely the affair part? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. It, but it was a combo package of, of you know, of the affair and that, and that we were getting, we were ultimately getting divorced. Yeah, and the fascinating thing was that the people who I feared revealing myself to the most were the ones who rallied around me, the fiercest. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yeah. I like
0: those unexpected results of the thing we, we fear the most.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I really look back at that time and it was, you know, it was Louise and it was Reed Tracy, the president of Hay House. And, Debbie Ford and Cheryl Richardson, and my sister, and my parents. And they created what I like to think of as a scaffolding around me as I rebuilt myself. Mm.
0: That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. That's, I mean, and again, I'm guessing why you were afraid to tell those people is those were the people that you were shining for. You were getting the gold stars from, Mm -hmm. and you you were presenting and representing them also in a way, right? You're, You're presenting and representing their work. So I could imagine. Why a person might feel fearful if they're they're holding up a facade that makes them successful and think that they're loved, and then all of a sudden they're about to reveal things to the very people that they care about that they want to impress, and all right. understandably so and by revealing that and then finding the opposite of your fears to be true that they ended up rallying and and creating this scaffolding for you is such a beautiful outcome and so inspiring for any of us who have work to do and, and truths to
1: admit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, now on the other, you know, on the other side of that, <laughs> you know, a decade later, uh, one of the things that constantly surprises me is how much energy and resource is available to me when I am not trying to hide, when I'm not trying to present a facade or, or be in that perfectionistic state. You know, I do think that most of us think we have to hide some part of ourself in order to be loved and accepted. Mm -hmm. We have to hide an aspect of ourself or a characteristic or a quality or a skeleton in the closet, secret, something, you know, it's that thing of if they knew this about me, they wouldn't love me anymore. And yet in the next breath, we're also running around saying some version of, I just want to be loved for who I am. You know, freedom is really about being able to reveal the truth of who I am without fear. And would you
0: say the affair, though, had something to do with the coming out
1: sideways? Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, listen, who I was in that, when I, when I had an affair, I was not someone who could tell the truth to myself, let alone tell my husband I didn't want to be married. Um, I wasn't someone who could, you know, who could even grasp being being that being that honest with myself, and everything was about self self preservation. But as I look back, and as I've said many times before, I, I also fully believe that you know I set a bomb to detonate eight years later because it was the only way I knew how to get out. That gives me the chills. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So I I love, as you were telling us, you know this this beautiful pattern of how things have been going in your life. And for me, it really is beautiful because I think that through our pain and our challenges or the bombs that we set to detonate and the ways that we blow things up in our lives. And (laughs) at the end of the day, the reason that I think it's beautiful isn't just because I get to be talking to you now at a point in your life where we're now, we have some really great things to talk about that are going on for you and and to start at that point about the first boundary you ever set. But also, I couldn't agree more that these stories and aspects about who you are make you beautiful and, and it makes you relatable and makes you even you know, even though I haven't had those experiences, I haven't been married, and I certainly haven't been married for eighteen years, um, and haven't had an affair or those kinds of things. That certainly doesn't mean that I can't relate to the core and the essence of the yeah. of the feelings that you're talking about of of hiding things, even if they don't even seem sometimes so obvious. You know, sometimes they seem obvious that we're hiding, and sometimes they don't. For example, you didn't tell anyone but your journals about this affair, and. So that almost might seem obvious, but to you at the time, it might have just seemed like something that, of course, you were stuffing under the rug and you, and you just had to do. Like everyone, so many people, I think, like you said, either have a skeleton in the closet or an aspect about themselves. And it is exhausting also, I think, mm-hmm. to keep Very it. Very exhausting. So you had a support system mm-hmm. and you had Louise Hay and you had all these people. And part of you might have even thought it's conditional,
1: Yeah. And I really, you know, I, I had created this reputation for myself that I lived up to, (laughs) you know, really, if you need anything done, ask me, (laughs) you know, and uh, it it was really important for me and my self-worth to start to understand that it was, it really wasn't about what I did. Or what I do, it is about who I am. Mm -hmm. And I will say that my friend, Reed Tracy, who I mentioned earlier, the president of Hay House said to me once, you know, it's not about, it's not about your indispensability at work. Mm -hmm. It's about your irreplaceability as a human. Nice. And this was profound for me in being able to orient the shift because, up until that point, you know, decades of my life, I'd been attaching my own sense of value and self worth to my achievement, to what I produced, what I did. And that's a very precarious position to be in because we're letting other people be determiners of our own value and our worth.
0: That obviously seems directly related to a much better understanding of why it's important to set boundaries and the freedom in setting boundaries. But without being able to first understand that your self-worth isn't attached to those other things, I think it would be even more difficult to set boundaries. So can you talk to us a little bit about the idea of understanding your self-worth and how that then helps you set boundaries?
1: Part of it is first of all, let me let me just say that I define boundaries yeah. as the limits that we set around what we will or will not do, will or will not tolerate, and will or will not accept. Great. Yeah. So it's first coming into the baseline of what's okay and what's not okay. And as we start contacting that, we're also contacting our, our preferences yeah. and our desires. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the conversation about self-worth and boundaries and freedom begins at this point. And what it takes me back to Mm -hmm. is when I did leave my marriage and I was newly on my own again, uh, I was, I had been living such an other referenced life. Mm-hmm. and i had let all of my wants and needs and desires really go i had sublimated all of them for my husband's mm-hmm. in service of his yeah and the dynamic that was really set up between us was in such a way that he was he was a very controlling man yeah and so I allowed him to control what I ate, what I wore, how I exercised. Uh, He measured my body fat regularly. Uh, There was really nothing in my life at that time that I felt I had control over. So when I was on my own, it was really confronting to have to feed myself dress myself figure out if i even wanted to move my body because all of that had been predetermined so part of the part of my journey back to self-worth was also part of determining my own desire mm mm-hmm accessing preference, accessing desire, and allowing myself to have and do what I wanted. So being willing to consider myself first. Now that, that sounds really huge,
0: Nancy. I mean just enormous. So, I mean I just just sitting here thinking about this for a minute because I haven't gotten to talk with you ever about this and hear you know, in your own words, in your own voice. Really, I just want to pause on that because really knowing our own desires and being able to speak them, I just want to interject. I ended up learning that at an earlier age than I would have thought based on a, a boyfriend I had who wanted me to be myself and to be able to, you know, say what my boundaries were. I mean, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. He actually taught me and, and taught me how in hindsight, how uncomfortable it, it was actually to try to, well, what do I want, e- you know, even at a younger age, just mm-hmm. def- anyway. So I'm bringing that up to say to you, Nancy, this is so huge because I really do think it's poignant whenever in our lives we start to realize knowing my own desires actually isn't selfish. It helps people love me better. They want to, most, I mean, I would say healthy people, not that I feel like all of us have our unhealthy stuff, but but <laughs> generally what I would, I would call, I don't have a good barometer for judging who's healthy and not, but generally normally healthy people who want to love me, they do want to know my boundaries and they do want to know what I desire and they do want to know what I want. So that's, I'm just saying that's my experience. So just yes, I mean,
1: because what we're doing then is we're giving, we're giving them puzzle pieces. We're giving them the operating manual, <laughs> you know? Exactly. And so, and so that's why, you know, that's why it is so important, but it has to begin with me being able to contact me myself around what do I want. And, you know, you mentioned selfish, and there's a big part in the book, and I'm on a bandwagon to reclaim selfish because yeah. we have disowned it. And I really look at selfish and self-care and self-love as three sisters whose job it is to support us ultimately in honoring ourselves. Yeah, And the invitation here is really... Can you be willing to consider yourself as much as and ultimately more than you've been considering everyone else up until now? That's a biggie. It it's a, a biggie. really biggie, biggie. Right. Especially when we've been people pleasing and peacekeeping and not wanting conflict and not wanting to rock the boat. And we've been, you know, always living in this loop of what do I need to do or say to make everything be okay? When we think that the goal of any kind of relating is harmony at all costs. It comes at a very high cost. It sure you know? does. Yeah. So it's a really big shift to actually come into contact with, okay, here's what I want, here's what I need. And from there start operating in a way where we are express where we're expressing our wants and our needs and our boundaries which really are here, not only, you know, most of us look at boundaries as like what we're keeping out, you know, but I'm also talking about looking at boundaries as the way that we are carefully choosing and consciously curating what we want to bring in. I love that.
0: I really do. And so could you share with us perhaps an example in your life or an, a hypothetical example of how creating a boundary helps what you want to call in.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest thing I would say is, is knowing my non-negotiables mm-hmm. and by that, it's the way that I construct certain rituals mm-hmm. around time and space for myself. Yeah. So I'm very ritualized around, um, an evening about around my evening and around my morning. It's great. And these are, these are essentially now, these are non-negotiable. This is the way that I honor myself best. This is how I want my life to be. And I've created a scenario where I'm able to have this in my life. Yeah. And so it's what I've called in. It's what I've, it's what I've brought in.
0: And so just to, to go back in like a kind of a circular way You were saying that what happened, because this is one of the things that interests me most about you and and what you and I've talked about in other conversations is, so that moment in your life when you left the job that you never thought you'd leave, and then you took some different leaps and a lot of things happened, and now you have a different life, a very different life. Can Mm -hmm. you talk to me a little bit about what this new life feels like compared to how that other (laughs) life felt?
1: Yeah, you know, the, the, thing I, the thing I recognize the most is, um, <laughs> is really I, li- I, I live without worry. Because worry really is about something that's going to happen in the future. Worry rips us out of the present moment. And so I'm no longer living in a place where I'm like in obsession about something in the past. Or worrying about something in the future. So I am living in my present moment. I don't have uh, sort of these monologues going on in my head about what do I need to do or say to make everything be okay. I'm not concerned with people liking me over everything else. I have been able to really integrate saying no with grace and gratitude and not excuses and, uh, guilt. I really see guilt now as an indication that I'm taking really good care of myself, that I'm on the right track. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, and I really have clear, I really have my priorities clear around what's most important to me how do I want to, and how do I want to preserve that? Yeah. And so and and when I and before it was all about everybody else. I never even considered myself. And so what that makes me think about
0: when you said about your, with boundaries and grace, this is a, a question I have that's come up in, in my life. And I wonder if people will be able to relate to this as they step in to learning more about boundaries and, and holding them and expressing them. What I've learned is whether it's somebody who feels like they have to set a boundary with me over something or I feel like I have to set a boundary with them, I found that if I feel comfortable, like, so, so let's say I'm the one who has to set a boundary. So normally I feel like I have to and it's uncomfortable because it feels like someone has trespassed in some way. So I'm already uncomfortable because I feel like a boundary has been trespassed that I didn't explicitly set, right? So I didn't say it yet, but it's been, it's been kind of crossed. I have found that if I can be okay about my boundary and clear and compassionate and kind, especially if someone didn't do something terrible and you know horrible on purpose, it's just somebody's crossed a boundary and they probably didn't really realize. I feel like in the expression of how I create the boundary really makes a difference sometimes on the outcome. And here's what I mean by that. If it's a friend of mine who I, who I care about and everything's great and I would like to keep the friendship there, I feel like there's certain ways of expressing a boundary that are helpful um, and that there are ways where it could potentially be more destructive and that I feel has a lot to do with me and how much I've done my own work or my preparedness around it. So I don't know if that ends up making any sense, but does it make any sense to you and could you elaborate on that
1: piece? Yeah, so here's what I'll say. Um, Our boundaries will always be an inside job. So my boundaries are between me and me. Your boundaries are between you and you. And even if another person is involved, we are the ones crossing our own boundaries.
0: I love that frame.
1: So... I can't tell you the number of clients who come to me and say some version of, I tried to set a boundary, but he or she keeps crossing it. And the truth of the matter is that it's no one's job. It's no one's responsibility. It's no one's, it's no one's place to uphold our boundaries. It's up to us. So we have to be really clear about the, the our limits And we have to be clear about how we are going to take care of ourselves. That's really the fundamental piece around boundary setting. So whether a boundary is expressed or not, we're still the ones who need to uphold it. And if we don't, we're ultimately like the little girl who cried wolf. A big piece of the conversation Around boundaries is that it's about expressing what's happening for me most of us go into boundary setting with a finger pointing outward you always you never I need you to you know some something about the other person changing and you know I I'm just here to say that (laughs) I just, we can't, we have no control over what someone else does or doesn't do. Uh, Lord knows I've tried to change people you know, <laughs> and it doesn't work. So it isn't about you need to change. It's about here's what's okay or not okay for me. And here's how I'm going to take care of myself. Yeah. And that's a way that we inform, we can inform someone else about our limits, about what's okay and what's not okay, about our boundaries. But we're not actually, we're not telling them. It's not an ultimatum. Yeah. It's not an ultimatum. So again, just because this, in
0: case this is relatable to anyone else, just to share like a personal thing that I'm going through just to get your take on this. Not, I'm not going through it right now, but I was going through. Just to give you an example, if this sounds like I'm catching what you're saying. So there was someone in my life who I felt was constantly wanting to spend a lot of time with me, constantly wanting to spend a lot of time with me. Mm-hmm. And I really valued this friendship, but I literally could not keep spending time with her. It was never enough. So long story short, I had a talk with her and I, I made it about me. And, and I was clear. I just said, you know, what, you know, what I could do is how often I felt like I could see her, you know, this yes. was how often. Well, what I realized when you're talking about hold the boundary, then it's my job. If That's she doesn't quite get it, yeah. To, if she tries to start asking me more and more, it's just my job to feel okay and just say, Hey, you know what? Remember I said, I can only hang out once a week exactly right. and just be like, and, and then I don't actually feel too up by it because I already, I know I stated my boundary and I'm just going to keep holding it.
1: Exactly. So in the book, I talk, I, you know, share some about boundary scripts. And then I talk about something called your company line. Hmm. So your company line is, is some version of, remember, we had that conversation and I let you know, here's what I'm available for. And you may have to say that 27 times. Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: Can you talk to some of these positives about the, that makes the effort worth it?
1: Yeah. I mean, really, what ends up happening is that it becomes a way of life. Mm-hmm. So that we're not, we're not constantly setting all these boundaries. We're just living in alignment. I mean, that's really what boundary setting is it's getting clear on my truth living in alignment with my truth, understanding that I'm not responsible for someone's response to my truth. Yes. Understanding that when I show up in my truth, I'm actually available for intimacy and I can have a deeper connection with you. Yep. And so I've been able to have much more meaningful, deep, more deep, connected relationships. I've been able to go deeper in my own inner work. I've been able to go deeper in my, in, you know, what I'm creating in the world. Everything has opened up for me because I do see boundaries as a bridge to that freedom that I was talking about before, because there's nothing, there's, there's nothing I'm hiding. There's nothing I'm having to sort of you know there's no like veil i'm looking through there's no blinders on i just i'm just living my life yeah. and i'm living in accordance with what is in right relationship for me
0: yeah i love that nancy i love it all as i expected i could have you talk to us for <laughs> hours and I love weeks it. and so what I before we, what I'd love for us to do is have you share with us the different ways people can connect with you, and then at the end, after we talk about some of the ways that, that we can learn more from you and connect with you, could you read that that part that I've talked to you about?
1: Absolutely. So this book is called "Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free." It's available everywhere books are sold. <laughs> great, and uh, it's great. It's in hardcover, ebook, and audiobook, and it's me reading the books and. Everything about me is on my website, nancylevin.com. So you can, get, you can grab info about my social media there, about my coach training program, all sorts of things. Uh, and then I've got – actually, this timing is just beautiful and perfect because right now I am getting ready to offer a brand-new free master class called How to Confidently Set Boundaries Without Fear – even if you think it's too risky. I <laughs> love that. Sign up for this masterclass at nancylevin.comslash slash boundaries.
0: That's so great. So that's a free masterclass, free
1: masterclass. which
0: you know, you're know you not available to do all the time. So this is really special. Mm-hmm.
1: And if and I encourage you to be able to join us live. There are some different times to choose from. If you can't be live, I will send you a replay So be sure to sign up at nancylovin.com slash boundaries.
0: Great. This is excellent, Nancy. That's so, so exciting. So in closing, if you wouldn't mind, I would love if you could read that in the beginning. And is this a poem you wrote or just a musings that you wrote? Or what is this?
1: This is a poem. So you may or may not know I have a master's in poetry. I didn't know. I did not know. Oh, I I love it. So my very first book, Um, called Writing for My Life is a book of poems. And then in each of my books since then, I have added a poem or two. So this is the poem that opens Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free, and it's called The Anatomy of a Boundary. The boundary is the marker where I can no longer be myself, no longer congruent with or authentic to who I am. When I am about to lose myself, that's the boundary point. And yet time and time again, we miss it. The disconnection from self that amplifies the way my attention pulls toward you as if my nervous system is being dragged by a magnet. I have been lost and we are bound. I need to find the rhythm of who I am without you while with you still the vital recalibration back to me knowing where i end and you begin my body and mind rest restore and regulate best when i am alone and not satisfying someone else's needs slowing down now i allow myself the rest i have been depriving myself of by overgiving and being on a high alert Time to liberate me instead of rescuing everyone else. Only I can restore my resources. No longer willing to do whatever it takes when whatever it takes comes at such a high cost to me. No longer allowing an old commitment to people pleasing, external validation and approval to override my commitment to my own truth and authenticity. The patterns we're running won't dissolve by someone else making a change. My boundary is mine to honor. We think our withholds will keep us safe, but revealing is what allows connection and healing.
0: Thank you so much for reading that aloud for us. And thank you for sharing so many of your precious and sacred stories. I appreciate it so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Heidi. Okay, bye for now.
0: Thank you for listening to Storybook with Heidi Spear and friends. Leave a comment in the comment section, subscribe to find out about future episodes, and share with family and friends who you think might be interested. I look forward to reading your comments and sharing more stories with you soon.